0: pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you so much because you are an amazing God. Father God, I ask that you be with us right now. Uh, It's not me here. I have nothing to bring here. I can only cling to the blood of the cross of Calvary. And so I'm asking Father God that it be you speaking and not I, especially right now as we're about to discuss this topic called love sharing. And Lord, I ask that you pour out your spirit, not only as I speak, but also for my brothers and sisters here, so that we can be receptive to your message. Be with us right now. Send your Holy Spirit. Pour your spirit out into this place. It is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, find your way there. And while you're finding your way there, I want to tell you a story about a lady named Mary. So Matthew chapter 9. And here's a story about Mary. Mary was a lady who had been invited. She, didn't, she was a Christian, but she wasn't a, a, a member of, of any particular denomination, especially not this one. She wasn't an Adventist or anything like that, but she was invited to go to a small group. A co-worker said, hey, come, you got to come to my house. We're having, you know, once a week there, and we're going to have the pastor come this time as a guest, and he's going to do a lesson, but I think you will really, really enjoy him. So what happens is that the pastor came, he met Mary, he shared with Mary how wonderful the Word of God is, how prophecies lined up, and they were discussing that night the topic about what the beast was in Revelation, the mark of the beast versus the seal of God, and all of that thing. It was all in one study, a beautiful uh, lesson, nicely done. And so when she was there, she realized, you know what? The church, the churches that I normally attend, they have not taught the biblical truth in such a manner as you have. So she realized that day, I can't go back to the church that I have been attending lately. It's, never mind the other ones. I, I need to start going to your church. Where do you guys meet? When is your meetings? Oh, well, we meet, as you know, it's, it's Saturdays, and it's going to be here. Here's the location. She was so excited. So what Mary did is that she went home, and she was so happy she couldn't wait for the day to come. And so on Saturday morning on the way to church, what she did is that she went into her closet. She got herself the highest shoes you could wear. You know, make sure that she, she's dressed to impress her best for God. She threw in the most wonderful dress, the nicest hat she could wear. You know, uh, Dr. Peku. Pulls your hat to shame. I mean, hers was like two or three feet this way. You know, she wanted to make sure that it was all fancy, pretty. And then she, you know, uh, those of you who may have family members who wear a lot of jewelry of you yourself wear, you know, you have like the everyday jewelry and then you have the ones that you get all decked out and put on. She wanted to make sure that she was all decked out. Put makeup for the first time, you know. Uh, Swatch from from sports brassiers to the other one. You know, she went, she was all out. Shows up to church. And the greeter at the door who was also a deacon, this is why I like having in our churches greeters separate from deacons. Deacons have their own job. They shouldn't be the maintenance people, the greeters and everything else in the church. You already have enough of a handful with the things we need you to do. But anyhow, as soon as she came in the door, he looked and says, Welcome. You could tell you're not one of our ladies. Well here, why don't we? And that was the statement. She felt she put on what she thought was her best. You know how it is. You look in the mirror and it's like, "Mm, "I look good today." You know. And and she when she showed up to church, and the first words out of the mouth was a welcoming along with you could tell you are not one of our ladies. She went in the parking lot, went home, went back in the closet, sat there and cried for hours. She was so distraught. She thought she had put on her best of the best, and she was mistreated. Later on, the pastor, you know, ran into her about six months later and says, Mary, how are you? You know, we waited for you that day. We never heard from you again, and your friend said she had no idea what had happened and what's going on, and you didn't want to talk about it. And she told the pastor the story that took place. She also told the pastor that she had recognized, because of the Bible study, that the church that she used to attend was not a church she needed to be a part of because of what she learned with the Bible. So she found another church that didn't quite teach the Bible truth the way that we teach it, but she felt nothing but love while she was there. And therefore, she's been a member of that church ever since. How the heart of that minister was broken, and he cringed as he heard what had happened and what happened then because of the lack of love. You know, Jesus faced something similar. Matthew 9, beginning on verse 12. We read this for the scripture. Joseph, thank you so much for reading that for us. Matthew 9, beginning on verse 12. Here you have something happening. Here you have Jesus. They were accusing Jesus. You know, why? No, they were talking about, hey, how come you were hanging out with this kind of people, the, the heathens and tax collectors and all of those different things? And Jesus replies the following. When he heard this, Matthew 9, verse 12. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, to me, this is a very powerful statement of Jesus. We read this earlier also in Hosea 6.6 6, when he talks about desiring the knowledge you know, of God over burnt offerings and mercy rather than sacrifice. This is important. Understand, sacrifice were brought before God. i rather you show mercy than you bring any of that stuff over here. Now, you remember if you read the Old Testament, sacrifices and stuff in the temple, this was a crucial thing, very ceremonial, very whatever. i rather... I'd rather you have a knowledge of God over burnt offerings. I'd rather that you have mercy over sacrifice. And a lot of times, we tend to sacrifice our brothers and sisters and show absolutely no mercy. Are, we, are you with me? Ministry of Healing. Sorry, not Ministry of Healing. Testimonies, Volume 9, says the following. If we would humble ourselves before God... And be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful. There will be 100 conversions to the truth where now there's only one. A couple of weeks ago when I was here, we had a baptism. Could you imagine it would have been 100 people? Simply if we as a church would be humble and tender-hearted and pitiful. If we were caring and loving. If we would have mercy rather than sacrifice. Could you imagine that? You know, one of the things we have... In Matthew, you've heard me talk about this. The end of Matthew is that great commission. Go ye therefore to all nations, right? Teaching them all of these things, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, and with you always to the end of the age. You're familiar with that, right? If you're not, it's the last two or three verses right there in Matthew 28. Check it out at a later time. But that great commission of going ye therefore, I believe that it cannot be fulfilled Without the great commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is that I have some neighbors that are very difficult to love. And I can't love my neighbors without loving God and seeking first God. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Because when you love God, how can you not take care of his children? I mean, if you love me, how dare you mistreat my kids? If you love God, how dare you not love his children? When you really love God, and his love is growing inside of you, when you see others, you don't see a difficult neighbor, you see a child of God. You see not only a child of God, a child of God who is lost and would not be found unless you will go before, God, before them. You know, Isaiah 6 says, who will go before us? And so you cannot have... The great commission of go ye therefore, without the commandment of love your neighbor. Those two are linked together. You have to have love in order to go ye therefore. Ministry of Healing. We often hear this quote. It's going to sound familiar in a little bit, but I'm going to read a few sentences before and a few sentences after because we often miss the larger picture. Ministry of Healing, page 143. It says the following. The world needs today what it needed 1,900 years ago, a revelation of Christ. A great work of reform is demanded. It is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual can be accomplished. Let me tell you this, we need restoration. Suicides this week, volcanoes there. I mean, you're talking about school shootings. You're talking about people being depressed, discouraged. We are in need of Christ now more than ever. Now, here's the quote that you're used to hearing sometimes. Continue on page 143 of Ministry of Healing. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. Number one, the Savior mingles with men. How did he mingle with men? As one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. And then he said, follow me. And he continues after that. There is need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing and more time spent in personal ministry greater results will be seen. The poor are to be relieved, the sick care for, the sorrowing and the bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced cancel. We are to weep with those that weep and to rejoice with those that rejoice, accompanied by the power of persuasion, by the power of prayer, by the power of the love of God. This work will not, cannot be without fruit. So we often cheat ourselves when we read just those steps, but we don't understand the work that we need to get done. You see, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People are not going to be worried about the 2300-day prophecy or the mark of the beast if they don't even know what they are going to eat today and they haven't eaten for a couple of days. Many times churches are dying and people say, Pastor, we need you to preach another sermon. As nice as that may seem. If your entire gospel experience is based on the time from nine thirty to twelve fifteen, twelve thirty, when we finish here, may God have mercy on your soul. Understand that more effort needs to be put forth by each individual. I can't save you. I cannot do the salvation as individual. You and your relationship with God and the work that we are entrusted in. Now, what is the normal? Method. We saw Christ's method. The method we normally employ. We go right ahead. We send a brochure. We tell people to come to where we are. We teach them the truth. And then we ask them to follow the truth. Could you imagine if the text would read, you know, for God so loved the world that he mailed a lot of brochures? (laughs) Could you imagine by this you would know that they're mine if they mailed a lot of brochures? understand that Christ's methodology is much different than the one that we're doing. You see, let me tell you something. Um, People don't care about the truth anymore. The truth does not matter anymore. You know, I told you about my uncle. He's smoking. Don't do this because this is going to kill you and this is bad for you. We know. People are in no need of information. You see, things have changed a lot. Back in the day... Back in oh maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, if you grew up maybe in an in an island like Puerto Rico in the 80s, like I did, then you you have a similar understanding. People were starving for information, but the families worshiped together, they studied together, they worked together. They were always together. New data was great. Now I can get information of anywhere. I can Google almost anything. And so what happens is that people are not starving for information like back in the day. Back in the day, I remember growing up that a Sunday keeping pastor. Learn the truth about the seventh day, Saturday, Sabbath, and the entire congregations became Adventists and they gave their life to Christ. The truth doesn't matter anymore to many people. I'm not saying it doesn't matter to God. Please don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is, people know this is bad and they still do it. I know eating fried food is bad. I know potato chips is bad. But man, pop up that bag and you know. We struggle. The truth doesn't matter anymore. People don't care about the truth anymore because they're overwhelmed with information. But you know where we're seriously lacking? Relationships. Seriously lacking. I got 50 million friends in Facebook. Now how many close friends would I call if I'm in need of something? How many of them are on your phone list? Understand, people are yearning and starving for relationships. So if the needs have shifted, perhaps our methodology needs to change as well. Ministry of Healing, page 470. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Understand that. There's many Christians that aren't lovable. So as a loving and lovable Christians, testimonies, volume nine, man will believe not what the minister preaches, but what the church lives. You know that 60 to 70% of the people that come to church is through relationship. The other 30 to 35 is through the pastor, Sabbath school, pathfinders, programs of the church. But the reality is that that good 65 to 70 is strictly through relationships plain and simple, and yet we don't want to interact with anybody. Pastor, we're paying you. You go and do the stuff. Elders, why do we, we just voted for you for two years. Go do some work. It's not how that works. It is not how it works at all. You know, one of the largest churches in the world, it used to be the largest. It's not the largest anymore, but this story some years ago, uh, I was reading about this. Uh, it's in Korea. Um, it's a church that is, it's not a Saturday keeping church. It's a Sunday keeping church, but they were interviewing the pastor of the church and they asked him, Hey, so, you know, your church has grown so much and it keeps growing. How many new members do you think you'll baptize and you'll get over the next, the next year? He says a hundred thousand. And, he, and they say, wait, you didn't even think about it. You're just giving that number. Explain that to me. Are you just saying that just to say? He's like, no, no, listen. You know, because the way this church works is that they have 50,000 small groups throughout the community in the homes, and they've grown and grown and grown, and then they come together on Sunday for worship, but throughout the week, there's no Wednesday night prayer meeting. They're just the small groups meeting there, and so what happens is that uh, during the small groups, Um, He says, I gave him a task. For the next year, you have to love two people. Plain and simple. So loving two people times 50,000 equals 100,000. And that's how he arrived at his math. Because you see, the secret is love. The technique is love. And when it comes to loving and relationships and building of relationships, you know, it requires making contacts with non-Adventists on our everyday life. Not just a fall event or spring event. This is who you are on the daily. You know, understand something. Many people think that when we do a baptism here, when we do a Revelation series and baptize, whatever, that that's the work. That's only 5% of the work. This is, um, you know, I don't know much about farming, but I'm told that that when you go actually grab the fruit and eat it, that's just the end of the job. There's some kind of like sowing and plowing and and all of those things and watering and weeding and, and stuff like that that takes place. All of that work prior to actually being able to reap from what you have sown. And so when it comes to the work of God, it does the same thing. As a pastor that told a story, he went to a small church and they said to him, Pastor, um, you know, we haven't had any baptisms in a long time. We, we need to do some kind of evangelistic series, some kind of crusade to bring people to Christ. And so he asked these three questions. I wrote them down because I, I thought they were very well put together. How many non Adventist folks do you currently have coming to your church? The member answered, mm, Can't think of any. How many close non Adventist friends do you think your members have? He says, I don't think there are any of those either. And then he says, okay, how many Bible studies are your members giving presently? And he says, well, I think the previous pastor maybe had had one or two somewhere around there. And so then he says, so no plowing, no planting, weeding or watering, and you want to bring in the reaper. <laughs> the reaping is 5% of the work. 5% of the work. You see, we have to shift from being church center." From being just like a little private social club to being people-centered. We need to focus on people. Don't have to, people don't have to come to our church and listen to our information. We should be out there mingling and interacting with them. Go with me to the last passage for today, Matthew 25. Matthew 25, beginning on verse 31. And when you have it, say amen. Matthew 25. Beginning on verse 31, and when you have it, say amen. Matthew 25, verse 31. You may be familiar with this. I talk about these parables of Matthew 25 all of the time, but today we're actually going to read through it because I want you to see what's happening here. Matthew 25, verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, remember... That here in Matthew 25, you're seeing what the God's people looks like. Matthew 24, what the world looks like in the end times. Matthew 25, what God's people looks like in the end times. And so the first parable is spirit-filled, spirit-led people. The second parable, the talents, everyone working, not being wicked and burying their talents in the ground. And here's the third one. So we're spirit-filled. Everybody works. Now, what kind of work are we to be doing? Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. Verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Verse 33. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Verse 36, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, prison ministry. Wonderful job, by the way. I was in prison, and you came to me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you to drink? Verse 38, verse 38. When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Verse 39. Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Uh, "Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of this, my brethren, my brethren, my children, you did it to me. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Not the point of today's sermon, but the everlasting fire is prepared for whom? It was not meant for us. Matthew 18 tells us that it is not the will of our Father for any of his his little ones to perish. He wants everybody to be saved. We are predestined to be prince and princesses, children of the king. If we have an otherwise fate, it's because we've chosen to reject that. So I just want to point that out to you, that that one final fire destruction of Revelation, it was never meant for us. Verse 42, I'll preach that some other day. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Verse 44, then they will also say to him, Lord, when, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty and stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Verse 46, and this will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life you know we just read through all of that that's all we're reading for today that, that was enough but understand something about this here something that we often miss that it's easy to distance ourselves from them. jesus says something along the lines that not everyone that says lord lord shall be safe remember that the question in Revelation is: Whom do you worship? Are you willing to follow the Lamb wherever it leads? From the very beginning, in Genesis, from the very beginning, Cain and Abel did everything almost identical. Except one chose to offer a slightly different sacrifice rather than the one that God wanted. Understand that this is church people and church people. This is God's followers and God's followers. The difference is some are willing to follow the lamb wherever it leads. And some are saying, I'm going to customize it. Or some are going to say, "Interestedly," or depending if I would have known better. Listen to the goat people. But Lord when did we not do this to these things to you in other words if we would have known we would have hooked you up lord we would have taken care of you what do you mean that we're do? only if we had known we would have done it and he says look when you didn't do it to one of the least of this you didn't do it unto me when you rejected them you rejected me when you didn't help them you did not help me see i have a problem with this kind of love goat love is selective We do that in our churches as well. You know, we got to be more like sheep people than goat people. We got to have sheep love than goat love. We have to do that. Why? Because even in our churches, you've seen that happen. You have a visitor. Visitor comes in. You talk to the visitor, and and you say, hey, how are you? Oh, you know, I heard about the truth. I want to learn more. And suddenly, you all, like, 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 I'm going to use another analogy because we're in church, but we'll, we'll say, like, bees on honey. I mean, you're all up on it. And, 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 you know, like, hi, how can we help you? And what are we doing? And, and everything else. Why? You're interested in that person because they express that they were interested too. And you just jump on that and you try to help. However, the person can, no, I'm just visiting. We're good. It's all right. And they leave or whatever, we probably don't pay them any mind or not as much mind as we ought to. This is a problem. That's selective love. That's goat love. Oh, if we would only have known. We have to love no matter what, in spite of who people are. We do the same thing. When you have people who are difficult, oh, you avoid them. You take the long way around. They're coming in through that door. You're going to go out through the other door. You know, why? Because you want to stay away from them. That's selective love. And then, you know, I've talked to people, and I have people tell me, you know, Joey, so-and-so, I don't know, they're very loving with me. Yeah, but with me, why is it that the two people can say two different things about you? Why is it that one person can say you're the best and the most loving person in the world, and the other one says, hmm, that one? Hmm. Why? Because you have selective love. But our love ought to be like the sun. The sun shines on the wicked, as well as the just. The sun shines simply because it's the sun. It's not because he has anything to do with whom the sun is shining on, but the sun is just shiny and warm. Now, as a result of the sun shining, there's extra effects that come out of that. There's warmth, there's life, there's vegetation. You get one of those cool vitamins between A and zinc. I mean, all of these wonderful things that happen as a result of the sun's love, but the sun loves just because it's the sun. It shines just because it shines. And we Ought to love just because that's who we are. If you are a child of the king and his love is in you, you are loving, you're not selective, you are just love. Love just comes out of you, and you are kind and courteous and tender hearted with everyone and anyone. We need to be loving, that is the key to love sharing. You want to witness to people, you want to really bring people to Christ, we need to learn to love not selectively you already see the kind of work that we need to do. And understand something else. This is something that is not just up to one individual. This is everybody. I want you to picture a bucket, you know, like uh, if somebody's a spiritual interest line, and I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But imagine a bucket of water, and you put a drop, 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 and finally one drop comes that makes it overflow. Is any of those drops more important than the other? Not at all. Does not matter whether you're the first drop or the last drop in somebody's life? We need to be loving just because. And as we rub elbows with people who don't know about Christ, they get some of that drops in there. They get a little bit more of Christ, more and more to the point that finally somebody comes. They say something like, you know, I'll pray for you or whatever. And they'll say, yes, do. I want to know more. And it simply happens. But we have to be loving and we have to work together. Here's the last quote for today. You've heard me say this before. And as long as I'm your pastor, you'll hear this like every other week. Desire of Ages 142. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. In order to enter his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his grace, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. See, when the church is depending on only one or two people to carry out the work of ministry, we are crippling God's plan. We are depriving ourselves of developing a character like Christ. And so if you were daydreaming or missed anything that I said, I want you to come back for this. Right now, I believe more than ever. Just look at the news. Between people who you think, you know, sometimes people they go through depression. Oh, if I only, you know, if I didn't have these bills, if I didn't have this, if I didn't have that, I would be okay. If I had that job, if I had that house, if I had that car. Here you have wealthy people, rich people, doing okay, and still the depression gets the best of them. You cannot feel that void in your heart unless you have Christ in your heart. You may chase it after other things, material things, positions, or followings, but guess what? Unless you have Christ in your heart, that void is going to be quite evident. And so people are in need of a savior. You have the volcanoes and the school shootings that are taking place. You have disaster out there. The world's in chaos. The world's in shambles, And here we are complaining about why is the pastor not having an additional church? Why can't he be here and preach to us more often? That's not important. What are you doing for the advancement of the kingdom? And are you loving people? If you really love them, you will not leave them be outside without the knowledge of a Savior. Which, by the way, just just real quick tidbit, okay, you're actually going to get me here more often because uh, the way that, that it works. I'm actually going to be here three Sabbaths a month uh, as, uh, after we finish with the things that we're doing over the summer. But anyhow, with that being said, the point is the most important thing is the love, love sharing. So I want to um, I pray with you. Because I'm hoping that all of us can really take this to heart. You know, that deacon who greeted Mary at the door, he was more concerned about being right than being loving. But if you ain't loving, then you ain't right. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we ask that you be with my church family here. Lord, all of us, I'm not at their jobs. I don't know who their co-workers are. I'm not at their house. I don't know who the neighbors are. I'm not in their classes. I don't know who their classmates are. I just don't know who they come in contact with, and I alone can't do this. But Father God, you've called us. You've called this church to be your body, to be extensions of you, a a royal nation, a holy priesthood. Father God, you've asked us, you've asked us, to be extensions of you. So please work in us and through us for the benefit of all so that we can spread the amazing love of you, Christ Jesus. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.